Whether you have a diagnosis or not, I don't care. Jump inside this podcast and I'm going to teach you how to read your own blood work so you can find the answers to your health concerns. Yes, those normal labs that your doctor keeps saying, oh, they look great. We'll see you again in six months. They really have answers in them if you know how to read it correctly. So come join me along this journey, leave a review and share with your friends. Let's dive in. What health coaching certification program do I recommend? I get this question asked all the time. Well, I've finally vetted them out and the one program that outshines all others is Functional Diagnostic Nutrition or FDN. There are three reasons why. One, it's very clinically based and teaches labs. I myself turned down a master's degree in functional medicine because it didn't teach labs. Two, you have lifetime access and it always gets updated. This is important because things change and you need to be in the know. Three, when you complete the training on your timeline, they have an incredible post-grad community. So they don't just kick you out on the streets and say, good luck. If you've been thinking about receiving your health coaching certification or are a practitioner looking to branch out and scale a virtual practice, now is the time. Make 2023 your year. Do this for you, your family, and those you're about to help. Go to fdntraining.com slash Dr. Kylie. Check the show notes for a $250 off code available for a limited time. I am happy to announce that I have partnered with Functional Diagnostic Nutrition because I love their program so much. They're now the podcast sponsor. All right, let's get into the podcast episode. Here we go. Welcome to the Beyond the Diagnosis podcast with me, Dr. Kylie. Now, if you've been around for a little while, you know that my family are big track people. I played volleyball. I prefer to have a ball in my hands, but the three younger brothers all ran track. Um, One of them even ended up at the the Olympics running the 400 hurdles. I have a track athlete on with us today, only he is like to the extreme other end, running 100 mile ultra marathons. But he didn't start there. He started as an overweight smoker who then converted to ultra marathon athlete. David, welcome on. Oh, thanks, Dr. Kylie. Yeah, that sounds weird when you say it, but yeah. I definitely converted. <laughs> converted. Tell us your conversion story. Uh, well, you know, m- most people, they, they, it's extreme trauma or extreme circumstances that causes a transformation or, you know, some kind of a, an altering of the lifestyle, right? Some you type know? of event, some type of like wake up, yeah. you have this option or you die kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And I found myself, I was pretty successful at work. I was running a very big business for a major Wall Street firm. I was seeing some success in my relationships and whatever. But on the other side of the coin, um, I was in a very unhappy marriage. I was married to an abusive alcoholic. Um, I was overweight. I was a smoker. I was as stressed out as anybody could be. I had four-year-old twins. uh, So uh, things were getting a little dicey uh, to have kids into that environment. And... um, uh, I just heard the right words at the right time. And uh, basically those were, you know, when I was complaining to a friend, uh, Dr. Kylie, about all of my problems in life and all of the bad things and all of the issues and all of the nonsense. And, uh, you know, I mean, some of it was pretty hectic and p- pretty traumatic. Um, 
he just stood up and he went, dude, I'm so tired of hearing this because you're the problem. It's, it's not everybody else. It's you. And I'm like, what the hell are you even talking about? It can't be me. I'm not the guy. How I, dare you point, the, dare finger you point back the finger at me? me? And he goes, no, he says, listen, man, everything in your life is a wild animal. And, and he goes, every problem at work, every person that you come across that's not right for you, every bad friend, they're all just wild animals. And then you take care of them and you go to pet them and they bite you and you go, what the hell? It bit me. They're wild animals. They don't know any better. Stop trying to find wild animals. Why don't you look in the mirror and see what your problem is? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, he didn't. I've never heard it explained like that, but yeah. yeah, wild animals. Yeah. He goes, that's what they do. They bite. They don't know any better. Doesn't matter how much you take care of them. Doesn't matter what how nice of a house you give them. Doesn't matter how much you feed them. When you go to pet them, they're going to bite you. They're wild animals. And I'm like, golly, I guess I'm not the one to fix problems. No, you got to fix yourself. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like I had never thought of it that way. And so when I did, I I I probably looked like a nutbag, but I stood in front of the mirror. I got my kids in in me to safety and 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 kind of had a minute to breathe. And I looked in the mirror and I went. Like, what is your problem? Like, who are you? What, what are you doing? And I had to have a real honest answers to that. And my honest answers were a lot of it wasn't good. So I said, okay, well, what do you got to do? Well, go buy some shoes and start running. Like, start being healthier. Stop smoking. Uh, stop, you know, stop, stop uh, solving other people's problems and work on yourself. And, or trying to solve other people's problems. You can't. Um, and it was a great way to avoid dealing with my own self. So, so I just did that. And by focusing inward, um, it allowed me to kind of discover who I was going to be, you know, and that led me to running and biking and triathlons and ultra marathons and all that other nonsense. Nonsense, but it probably, it saved your life. It saved your kids' lives. I think so. And now it's saving millions of others as you tell your story and empowering them to change their life. Yeah. So um, where that happened, uh, Dr. Kylie, is I, uh, at the time that I was finally becoming aware of the fact that I should care about the guy in the mirror, um, that kind of like belief and empowerment and optimism and wonder kind of gave me this belief that I've got this huge long road in front of me and it's endless and I have no idea where it's going to go, but it's exciting because I've never been on it before. And I'm just filled with this energy to go figure out who I'm going to be and who I'm going to turn into. And at that same exact time, uh, my, my only sister, who I was super close to and had overcome the trauma of our childhood and, and, and really was in a great place in life, happy marriage, great kids, the whole thing, um, was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so it kind of like I had my big endless journey ahead of me. She had a very short journey ahead of her. And, uh, that brought me to this idea of, you know, like, wow, man, like people don't talk about their most, the emotional side of that kind of trauma. And, and I didn't guess at that. I just learned that over her journey. I just, every doctor, every patient, every friend, they were so great about like, here's the care and here's how you get your kids looked at. And here's how you, you sleep better. And this is, you know, all of the stuff, all the tasks they were really good about it. But when it came to like uh, talking about the emotional side, people just weren't equipped. And, and I mean, I can relate to the fact that we don't share our traumas with everyone. People don't know what Dr. Kylie's gone through, what your family's gone through. They all know, but you don't bring that to your relationships. But um, 
when we kind of open up the curtain and peek behind, we realize, man, everybody's going through stuff. And, um, and especially with regards to the emotional side of trauma, such as cancer, um, sometimes that stuff is really lonely and really isolating. And so I wanted to shine some light on um, the idea of, of trying to learn what people have gone through, or what they're going through in relation to that trauma. So teach us how you did that. So how did I do that? Your, what you were telling me about the cancer and the 200 interviews, narrow it down to 15, the chapter, the book, like the, all the things that led you to where you, what you're doing now. Yeah. So here's what I, here's what I did is I said this, I would love to talk to 15 people about the same topic and see what, you know, what the differences are. But I thought, you know what, if I could find enough people, different ages, different types of cancer, different perspectives, like I wanted an oncologist. I found one that was an oncologist and surgeon uh, specializing in breast cancer for 40 years. Um, I wanted patients, survivors, loved ones, um, people that had cancer one and done, people that were only afraid of cancer, people that had cancer five different times in their, in their life. I wanted uh, different types and severities. And, and then I said, what's really interesting is to understand what that journey is in relation to the traumas that they've had in their life. So I might be able to relate to somebody who's been abandoned or who has been in a abusive relationship or has um, uh, made bad decisions in life. I can kind of understand those traumas and the, and the consequences of those, but in relation to the cancer journey, how do those traumas affect them? That I didn't know. And so I just, I just talked to people. I found them through cold calling. I called hospitals and cancer centers. And I talked to every friend I knew. Who do you know? And I just found these amazing, interesting people who have these fascinating stories of young adult childhood and adolescent trauma that I could kind of relate to um, or understand, kind of wrap my brain around. And then I brought that to their their cancer journey to say, you know, like what what, what can we learn? What can we understand? How can I relate to you as a person so that I can better understand what you're going through? And I interviewed them each for a couple of years to get really, really deep into their stories. And then uh, um, uh, as a way to kind of tie the stories together, I said, well, geez, if we're all connected by story and we're all connected by emotion, what better way to connect than just get on your bike and go ride your bike to go meet them all for the first time. So I went on this 5,000 mile bike ride um, in 45 days, just zigzagging my way across and then up the country uh, to meet them all for the first time. And, and, and that's what kind of the thread that ties those stories together. Where are you at? Like located? So I'm, uh, I started in LA, uh, went down to San Diego, zigzagged my way across to Florida and then up to New York. And um, Holy smokes. Uh, yeah, it was a long, it was, it was a long, long bike ride. <laughs> And it took you 45 days to do all that on a bike. I went 4,700 miles in 45 days. I took four days off along the way from, you know, just planned rest days. And one caused by a hurricane that wasn't planned, but you gotta, you can't bike through a hurricane at least. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. I mean, I tried. I, I did try, but but it, it was futile. Um, and so, yeah, I did about 120 miles a day uh, solo. Um, about 11 to 12 hours a day for 45 days. Yeah, it was, it was brutal. Would you do it again? Uh, not in forty-five days. I would love to do yeah. it again, but but not at that pace. It was it was it was really really hectic. Yeah, you could say like one hundred and forty-five days, and that gives you more time to connect with the people, which is your jam. Yeah, no question. I would have liked more time to connect and kind of not have. Well, I mean, there is some beauty in saying I have to get to point B 
starting at point A every day, there's mm-hmm. some beauty in that that you learn a lot about what you're capable of. Because, I mean, sometimes I mean, my longest day was 17 hours on the bike. That's a long time. And then I slept for five and a half hours and did 12 hours the next day. So if you have to, it's kind of cool to understand what your limits are. But why, why push? It took me about a year to recover. So I was I was toast for, for a long time. I can imagine, especially um, what time of year did you do it? The summer? I did it in the summer. Well, I, I, I started um, in, in late August, early September and in the West Coast. So, yeah, the first 12 days, the high was never below 100. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was hot. I'm just thinking you go down, hit Texas, go across, like that. you got the heat, the humidity, then you go up, but hopefully you get to New York before it's like blasted cold. Yeah, it was, uh, you're exactly right. But Texas, I was uh, nine days in Texas because I went like all over Texas because I, I had to go to Houston, Dallas, and Austin. So you figure that on a bike coming in from New Mexico. So I, I basically saw all of Texas and uh, yeah, Texas is hot. And windy and not flat. And that's all we need to know about Texas. (laughs) All right. Um, So jumping back into this, you you did a lot of interviews and you narrowed it down. Walk us through what that project was. Yeah. So the, the, the thing was, is when I first started talking to people, Dr. Kylie, and it's really interesting, right? People go, ah, I don't know why we're talking. My life's not that interesting because everybody's just living their life, right? They're just doing what they do. It's normal to them. Yeah, it's normal to them. But when you sit back and you go, all right, well, let's take a break. Let's talk about it and and uncover what's going on in your life. I mean, really, the things they had been through were just dramatic. And I'm talking about, you know, like just amazing. You know, like I I talked to one doctor who was basically the last on the last boat that left Saigon before it fell in the 19, you know, 70s to the Khmer Rouge. So. I mean, that was, that was like the backdrop of her story. I talked to another oncologist who one day her just, when she was a young girl, her dad just never came home, right? Like never to be heard from again. And it's like, you know, that kind of trauma that we could all kind of like, wow, I've got to learn more about, I got to see what, how does that affect someone? Because all of our friends, all of our family, we have all been through trauma, right? Suicide of a parent or uh, drug addiction or something, right? Where you just go like, man, like that defines kind of who you are and how you handle things. So I had to really find a safe space to talk to them and have them, you know, really get into the deeper aspects of those kind of events so that we could present somebody that people could relate to. And so that, that was a process to uncover all of that information about people and be able to put it into perspective and then also to add the perspective of how did that affect their experience with cancer as patient, loved one, doctor, whatever. So that when we come across, like, you know how, you, I mean, there's not anybody listening that doesn't, can't relate to this at some level. I walk by you and I go, hey, doctor, how's it, how's it going, Dr. Kylie? And you go, oh, yeah, I'm all right. I go, what? Oh, ooh, something's up. What's going on? Well, you know, my uncle just got diagnosed with cancer. And I'm like, oh, no. I'm sorry. And I exit because I don't know what the hell to say. Like, how am I going to talk to you about that? Right. And so I wanted to say like, well, how do we develop some tools to be able to actually answer the question? How did, how do we deal with that? So that's what the project was all about. What did you find? Give me a tool. (laughs) Uh, Well, well, the tool is to frame it around the real 
concept and not just words, not just a yellow sticky note, but to really understand that we really don't have any idea what people have gone through. We really don't. And, and it's shocking that we can't care about every single person that ever comes across in our lives, but the people that we do care about, the ones that we hope to be close to, we have to realize that we just don't know. We might know, we might think we do, but we don't. And, you know, when a friend says, no, really, Dr. Kylie, I'm fine. I, I, I'm good. You know, thanks for checking on me, but I'm fine. Really, don't worry about me. Maybe that's because you're the last person that offered their hand and everybody else has abandoned them. And that reminds them as a child of being abandoned. And there's no way that they're going to ask you for help because if you say no or if you disappear, then that's going to crush them forever. And you don't know that because you just think, oh, that's my friend. She's being strong. She's just telling me she's okay. And now maybe I'm overblowing it, whatever. We just don't know. And so I say number one is if you can really take the heart that we just don't know what people have gone through, it gives us the ability to maybe take a deep breath, listen, maybe ask questions that aren't comfortable to ask. So when you say you're all right, is that because you're afraid I'm going to disappear if you tell me something are you afraid that you're going to inconvenience me? Are you embarrassed? Like, are you really okay? I'm not judging. I'm just saying like, why are right? So we got to maybe get a safe space to go a little bit deeper. I think that's, that's a tool. I think a, a tool that was really easy for me, especially as a, as a manager, as a leader in business was to kind of offer sympathy. Oh, I'm really, really sorry to hear that. Wow. Just let me know if there's anything I can do. Well, first of all, don't be sorry. It's not your fault the stuff that they went through is not your fault, right? They're not going to ever come to ask you for what you could do. You got to offer, right? But mm -hmm. it was an easy way to stay protected. Like, oh, I care. Like, I'm sorry. I'm so, it's terrible. I'm sorry. Now, what do you need? No one's going to come. Just like, hey, can I go get this for you? Yeah. I tend to lead with a question rather than an answer, right? And so somebody will say something instead of offering a, oh, geez, I'm sorry, or you know, oh my gosh, you know, that must be tough. You know, I, I leave with a question. And it's shocking if you ask it authentically, the answers you might get. And I'll tell you an example. One time I was speaking to someone and she was kind of distracted. And I went, are you okay? You don't see them all there today. And she goes, no, you know, like I really hadn't told you this, but my mom's been in the hospice for a couple of weeks and she finally passed. And I'm like, oh my God, that must be terrible. And she's like, I got to tell you, she was the worst mom in the history of the world. And I'm just really glad that she died before me. And I'm like, oh, so I guess it wasn't terrible. Like, what a what an idiot, right? So I, I, no judgment, right? Who knows what she's been through? So now I don't go, wow, that must be tough. I'll ask a question. Were you close? How does that make you feel? Right? Have you talked about it with anyone? You know, I'm glad you found it safe to talk to me. Do you want to talk more? You know, I mean, wow, really hard questions to ask because it's so much easier to say, oh, that must be tough. And then exit stage left. Move on. Yeah. <laughs> right. So those are a couple of the tools. That's good. Yeah. Because I mean, just thinking about the last few funerals and I've had in my family and extended family, that's the scenario. It's like, oh, thank heavens. They're gone. <laughs> 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 But you would never, like, you would just assume, like, oh, man, that sucks. I'm sorry to hear. But in reality, it's like, no, it's actually a good thing. But you got to ask a question a little bit to pry a little bit further before you just pass that judgment and 
offer condolences because maybe they don't want it. Maybe they're like, you want that, what she just said. Yeah. And then I'll give you another example, Dr. Kylie. So I, I was talking to another friend who she told me that, look, I'm super, super close to my dad. And when he passed away, it was really, really hard for me. She goes, and, and he was, um, he was a macho guy, you know, dad's the center, the rock of the family and, you know, doesn't cry and whatever. And I guess that taught me a lot of good lessons or whatever. And near the end of his journey, it became really hard for me because he, I had to, I had to take care of him physically. Like I had to change his feeding tube and do, like do things that, that I know made him super uncomfortable. And it created this, like this, this wedge between us where I couldn't ask him how he was feeling and I couldn't talk to him about his emotions because I was so aware of the fact that he was so uncomfortable with me helping him. And I, and I cherish the fact that I was able to help him, but I, I regret the fact that I didn't have the courage to ask him how he felt and how things were going. And I didn't, I didn't get into the emotional side of, of the fact that he was dying and you know what, 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 how we could have explored that a little bit, you know, so I could have gotten to know him better. And I was just afraid to do that. And I, I wished I would have done that. And I go, I've heard that same thing at different levels, you know, for years now. And it's like, wow, wouldn't it be nice if we could just feel like it's okay to go a couple of steps further. And, but, and I, and, and personally, I feel like seeing how others have done it or haven't done it allows me a little bit, frames it a little bit for me, makes it a little bit easier for me. And it's not, it's very helpful to actually hear you say, here are some examples of questions you can ask. It's like, Oh Yeah. That's a simple question, but yet the answer can be so in-depth and so inviting, so loving and so caring. Like, hey, how are you today? I'm good. Like, no one really wants to answer that for reals. Right. But when you pry a little farther, you're going to get the real answer and you might just, you know, you might just save someone's life. Yeah. Or allow them to just know that somebody else's life mattered. I'll never forget one of the most beautiful memories of my bike ride was right near the end. And I was getting, I was lost, like getting to my finish point at Central Park. And there was a bunch of people there waiting for me. And I didn't know where to go. And I was like, ah. so I see these two bikers talking and I interrupt them and I go, hey, you know, can you tell me how to get to where I'm going? And the girl saw, the one of the women, she saw a patch on my arm, on my jersey about uh, stupid cancer. And she's like, oh, what are, you, what are you doing? And I told her in a, two seconds, she was like, oh my God. She goes, that's fantastic. You rode your bike all the way here from California and went to Florida. And you're raising money, huh? That's great. She goes, yeah, my dad died like four years ago from cancer. And my initial response was to say, geez, I'm really sorry to hear that. You know, and thanks for the directions and good luck and go on my way. And instead I said, ah, I learned something. And I said, oh my gosh. I go, were you guys close? And she goes, yeah, I got to tell you. She goes, we were unbelievably close. I wouldn't be a biker today if it wasn't for him. Because when he was up for it, it wasn't always because of his treatment, but when he was up for it, we would go on vacations and we would go biking and we would just talk for hours and hours and hours, you know, for off and on for a couple of years, we were able to do that. She said, and I formed such a deep relationship with him. And she goes, and then he made a joke when he, when he died, he wanted his friends, you know, there were cyclists to, uh, to get a kick. So we put him in his favorite uh, biking jersey, which was uh, covered in ice cream cones. And everybody that came to the viewing was laughing. And, you know, my dad was just that kind of guy. She goes, and man, he was, he was a wonderful guy. Thanks for asking. And I'm, and I'm like, wow, I'm a total stranger. And you just told me something that will never leave me and makes, you know, makes me weepy just thinking about it. Like how wonderful 
that you were able to experience that and also felt comfortable sharing it with me. And if I just said, oh, I'm sorry and biked off, I, I, you know, I don't know. Just that connection wouldn't have been as deep and we'll never run into each other again. But that story will stay with me and, and I can use that for the rest of my life. Yeah. So where can we hear more of, the, more of these stories? Ah, I get the book. Um, you know, it's really cool that uh, 100% of the proceeds from the book go to support the organizations that were chosen by the book participants. So those are listed in the book. They're listed on my website, which is cycleoflives.org. And um, the cool thing about the Audible is I had 15 different uh, voiceover actors do each one of the 15 stories. So it's really kind of interesting. I did the narrative of the bike ride in between it, but the stories are actually read uh, by a different actor. And so kind of even makes it a lot more personal, I think. Um, and, uh, I, you know, the stories are sometimes heavy, uh, sometimes a little tragic, but they're all inspiring and optimistic and really give a lot of insight into the human condition. That's Cycle of Lives book. You can find it on the audio version. I'm sure it's on Amazon and at cycleoflives.org with David Richmond. Okay. One last question before we jump off here, coming from a track athlete family, what was the physical shift that you had to make, like as far as training is concerned, when you go from overweight and and smoker to ultra marathon? Like just that one step. So if someone's listening and they're thinking, you know, I need to get in better shape, but just the task of doing it is terrifying that they don't even want to start. Yeah. How do they start? Where do they start? Yeah, it's really shocking because uh, you can't do it unless you're motivated to answer the question like, what's it like? And if you can just answer the question, what's it like, right? Like, just do that. What's it like to be able to go run a mile? What's it like to be able to run three miles? I mean, I'll never know what it's like to run, you know, 400 meters in the Olympics. That I can't answer. But I could answer what's it like to run a half a marathon and then a marathon. What's it like to run 50 miles? What's it like to run 100 miles? Right? Like, what's that like? And if that, that excites you to figure out what you're capable of, then you figure it out. And for me, that was first I ran down the block. I barely, I had smoked for 20 years. Right. So I couldn't run. And then I go, what's it like to run around the block when it doesn't hurt? What's it like to be able to run a 5K? And then when I got to the end of the 5K, I'm like, wow, that was amazing. Like, well, I wonder what it would be like to run a 10K. Right. And I did that. What's it like to do this? And, th- and I just wanted to keep finding out. And I'm still doing it. Just just last week, I did a half Ironman. That's like my 50th or something like that. But I just want to like, what's it like to just do another one and do another one? Your kids are with, with you now? My kids are grown. They're uh, 25 years old now. One lives in London. One lives in New York. But uh, yeah, they, they saw me throughout that whole thing. And I, I, I think it helped them a little bit, too. That's so cool. I love that. See, I asked a question. I would have no, I'd never known the answer. I'd never come from that perspective, but it's so true. Just ask yourself, what's it like? What's it like? What's it like to get to here? What's it like to get to there? What's, and, then, and then you just keep going step by step by step. I'm pretty sure and you're running 100 mile marathons. Well, I think it's that way with like, what's it like to be able to play a musical instrument? Well, you really want to know, mm-hmm. go figure it out. What's it like to be able to draw? What's it like to be able to cook a good meal? I don't know. What are all the things you want to do? What's it like? I, I don't know, but I'd like to know. And if you don't want to know, then don't go do that. But if you do want to know, you'll figure out a way. Oh, that's so good. I'm going to leave you all with that. Don't forget, Cycle of Lives book, cycleoflives.org with David Richmond. Thanks, David. You're welcome, Dr. Kylie. Thank you.
The health coaching certification program that I recommend is Functional Diagnostic Nutrition, or FDN. You can get started anytime. So grab the $250 off code from the show notes and go to fdntraining.com slash Dr. Kylie and get started. Don't wait any longer. Make 2023 your year. Do this for you, your family, and for those you're about to help. fdntraining.com slash Dr. Kylie. Ready to have all of your blood work compiled in one location where you can easily read it all together? Well, go grab my book, Why Are My Labs Normal on Amazon. Grab it, learn how to read your own labs, and take the power back in your hands because your normal blood work is loaded with answers. You just got to have the right person reading it and the right person can be you. Go grab it on Amazon, Why Are My Labs Normal by Dr. Kylie Burton. Leave a review and we'll see you on the next episode.